You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George, which is from our sermon series, Christmas at Creekside. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Well, hey, Merry Christmas, everyone. We can officially say that, and I know most of you, or some of you, very few of you have probably been saying it since July. Okay. (laughs) Um, First, I want to say thank you to every single person who showed up yesterday to deck the halls. it was, it was an amazing crew, and it, it got done super quick, and we're so grateful for you taking the time. Um, also, I want to say thank you to Pastor Jesse and Brooke Rosette for leading us in the devotional, uh, Advent devotional. Also, I want to say uh, there's a few people I want to acknowledge who are watching us online. Hannah from Arizona, uh, Tony Peacock, Mary Silva, you're watching us online today. Uh, Sealanders are watching us from the 49ers game. Yeah, I just said it. Uh, Pat P. Pat P. She's watching us. Uh, my sister Tammy, my mom's watching us. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. And Kristen, my wife, watching from right there. Um, and Tariq, thank you so much for moderating and uh, being a, a someone that people can connect with online. Uh, thank you so much for doing that. Uh, also, can we let those online know that we in-house wish them a big Merry Christmas Get, by making some noise? Come on. I love this time of the year. Uh, Today, uh, I want to invite you to hear the words of hope uh, as we enter into this season of Advent in expectation for Christmas. Over the next four weeks, we, as we move forward or towards Christmas, we are going to journey through the Advent season. It's our chance to listen to the stories It's our opportunity to remember the true meaning of Christmas. And also, more importantly, to wait in expectation for the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, the point is is not to get rid of some of the trappings and traditions and celebrations that are all around us, but to purposely journey through them to more deeply experience the true meaning of Christmas, which is hope, peace, joy, and love. I kind of like the, how, how the team, the creative team, came up with a, a more simplistic visual of Christmas. Because it removes the noise so we can focus a little bit more on Jesus. Because I think in in this hectic, crazy world, that's what we need a little bit more of. Is less of the noise and more of who's a necessity in our life, and that is Jesus. Also, I thought this this morning, how about we take 
as much time preparing our hearts for Christmas as most of us take preparing our home for Christmas. I want to go old school this morning. If you brought your Bibles, raise them up. Times are changing. (laughs) If you brought your Bible on your device and you actually read it, raise it up. Look at that. So here's what I want. I want everybody to be silent. I'm going to invite those who brought their actual Bible to church with them today. I want to hear the sound of pages turning to Luke chapter 1. Can we do that? Shh. Isn't that an awesome sound? And I'm going to read straight from the Bible. There's no big Bible in the sky for this because it's the beginning of our Christmas story. Luke chapter 1, picking up in verse 5. And uh, if you have your device and your favorite Bible app on it, you can click there now. It's the birth of John. The birth of John, the Baptist, being foretold. In verse 5 it says, When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Now Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, while the incense was burning or being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has, has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John, and you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or any other alcoholic drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn their hearts or turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure that this will happen? I'm an old man, and notice he didn't call his wife old. (laughs) Husbands, take note. There's always a side truth to what we're reading. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. (laughs) Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. 
For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. And when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. And soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Elizabeth said, how kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He is taken away by disgrace of having no children. Father, this Christmas season, I pray that we are filled with anticipation and hope. Father, I pray that the words you speak through this season to us, Father, that our hearts will be stretched and you'll prepare us and your word takes root in our life, Father, as we learn how to live according to your word and ultimately glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of my favorite, favorite Christmas carols of all time, and I hope that uh, our team sings it at some point this Christmas season, it's O Holy Night. It's a powerful song. It's a carol derived from a poem that kind of made its appearance in 1847. And it wasn't written by a churchgoer. It was written by someone who would be considered a pagan. His name was John Sullivan Dwight, and he translated the song into English in 1855, and Dwight discovered the song, and he was so inspired by its powerful lyrics, because it was about Christ's victory over the oppression of sin and the brotherhood of men under God. And ultimately what happened is Dwight reworked this carol. He reworked the lyrics slightly to read, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother and in his name all oppression shall cease. O Holy Night was published in his magazine. The Dwight, it's Dwight's Journal of Music and it quickly gained popularity with American audiences. Especially in the North during the Civil War. Like I said, it's, it's one of my favorite if not the favorite Christmas carol of all time. And it, because it reflects the, the birth of Jesus and it, and it communicates and talks about the redemption of humanity. You know what O Holy Night does for me? It gives me hope this season and every season. It gives me hope. It's a thrill of hope. And if you ever experienced hopelessness and then found hope, you know how thrilling that can be. It's been said that man can live 40 days without food and about three days without water and about eight minutes without air. But only for one second can someone live without hope. True hopelessness. If you probably agree with me that hope is incredibly important, isn't it? 
Yet hope is the Advent theme that is sometimes, I believe, easily forgotten during the Christmas season. I think Scripture promises us uh, hope, yet sometimes that, that hope, when we're looking for it and we feel hopeless, it feels like it's a million miles away, doesn't it? Even in the midst of the holiday cheer, and listen, I love Advent and I kind of like Christmas for the most part. Hopelessness does what? It threatens. After Thanksgiving dinner, hopelessness is there. In the moments of, of being still and quiet, hopelessness is there. Maybe you find that lying in bed at night, hopelessness is there. Those among us who struggle with depression, oppression, or who are grieving, you, you know this, this feeling intimately. Hopelessness. Hopelessness is clawing at the door. Now, I'm not old enough, so this is pure research. Maybe some of you remember this musical. It's a musical called Showboat. Anybody? Let's be honest. Showboat takes place in the late 1800s on the Mississippi River. In the story, it's a story of an African-American man named Joe who had a hard life eking out a living as a dock worker, and he had you know, to live this life of incredible struggle. At one point in the musical, Joe sings a song called Old Man River. It's a song about the timelessness of the river, that it just keeps rolling along no matter what happens. The song includes the following words in this line, I get weary and sick of trying. I'm tired of living, but I'm scared of dying. I think many of us in this room can relate to that line. Are you weary and sick of trying? Are you tired of living, but you are afraid of dying? Is hopelessness clawing at your door? Friends, Advent, what we celebrate over the next four weeks, is all about hope. But hope isn't something that you and I can manufacture. No amount of positive thinking will bring hope, true hope, lasting hope. We just can't try to become more hopeful. Hope doesn't last long, fueled only with the power of positive thinking. Where then does this true hope really come from? If you're taking notes, you can write this down and be confident in this and take this home with you. Hope comes from knowing and trusting God's promises. That's where true hope comes from. Knowing and trusting God's promises. Promises like, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or promises like, blessed are the poor. Or promises like, Jesus is coming back. 
In Hebrews, the author writes of this, this true foundational hope that we should have. They said this in chapter 6, verses 18. So God has given us both what? His and His, his promise and His oath. And these two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to Him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to what the hope that lies before us this hope is a strong or is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls it leads us through the curtain into god's inner sanctuary friends during advent during this season we wait for the fulfillment of god's promise that Jesus Christ, our Lord, is coming again. Notice he didn't promise that you will have all the feels. It's going to hit you in a holiday way. He's promising us, and we can be confident in and choose to be confident in the fact that Jesus is coming again. We hold to God's promises that Jesus will come back, ushering in a a new heaven and ultimately a new earth where there will be no more tears, no more mourning, no more crying out of hopelessness ever again. What does it look like to hope in God's promises? Fair question. As I worked on this message this week, I was thinking of some friends who, uh, and you may know people who are in the healthcare industry that work in a hospital, whether a doctor or a nurse. And I was thinking of some friends who have worked in healthcare, especially in the shadow of the last few years that we've had to navigate. I can only imagine the stories of, of going back and forth, these Christ followers who work in, in, in hospitals, and they're going back and forth between two families across the hall from one another. In one room was a dying child, and the family utterly was devoid of hope. In all likelihood, that room was probably permeated by a sense of deep despair because no one in the room probably really wants prayer. Most likely because they don't believe in that. But right across the hall, another young man is dying. His family is gathered at his bedside in tears, but the mood is decidedly different. They're sad, but they are not without hope. And when you're not without hope, you begin to say things like, hey, listen, we know that he's not going to make it, but we know we're going to see him again. Friends, the difference between hopelessness and hope is only the length of a hallway. And the difference between trusting in God's promises and having no God at all. This morning in our passage in Luke chapter 1, we met a guy named Zechariah. He's a faithful, faithful man, and his wife, Elizabeth, she's a faithful woman. They are, they're, they're obedient to God. 
and they have served God their whole lives, and they have no children, but they wanted a child so desperately. I think some of us can relate to that emotion. There are things in our life that we, that we want so desperately, moving beyond the want to those things that we know we need so desperately. Yet they kept coming back to the temple. They kept going to church. They kept surrounding themselves with other people in this community. And worshiping, even though their lives had been difficult. The difficulty of their external circumstances didn't didn't affect their devotion to God and being obedient. They persevered in not just going to church, but they persevered in serving God. They believed that God's promises were true, and one day, what happens? An angel shows up on the scene, and I'm just going to summarize verse 8 through 12. It says, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. While the incense was burning, or being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. Shaken and overwhelmed with fear. Zechariah was shocked and shaken and freaked out because how often do you and I really expect an angel of the Lord to show up? I think we would kind of feel the same way, right? In all our prayers, in all of our going to church, in all you know, of our talking the talk of this relationship with God, do we actually believe that God hears our prayer? Do you really believe that God hears your prayer? Do we really believe He's listening? I mean, what would happen if one of his messengers actually showed up and looked you in the eye? In verse 13, it says, The angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. He actually said, There's an exclamation point, so he probably yelled it at him. He said, God has heard your prayer. God has heard your prayer. I don't know about you, but do you hear the promise in that? That God hears your prayer. Obviously, Zechariah, for all his faithfulness, struggled to really believe that God heard him. But God did. Why? Why is it? Why can we believe that God heard his prayer? Because God promises to hear our prayers. God has heard your prayer. My question to you is, do you trust that promise this morning? Do you trust that promise today? What is it that you are praying for? What is it that you have been praying for? Asking God to do. Not out of want, but a deep need. What are you asking God to do? What are you asking God for today? 
What are you asking God for on the cusp of a a new year? I mean, maybe for some of you, it's a child like Elizabeth. You haven't been able to conceive. And you're dealing with probably an undercurrent of hopelessness. Maybe, Maybe you're asking God to get you through the pain and suffering of something right now. Maybe uh, you're asking God out of, you know, you need some of His hope because you're hopeless that your paycheck is going to stretch from mortgage to groceries this month. Maybe, maybe you're asking God to heal a difficult relationship. Maybe you're asking God for peace on earth. Maybe every single one of us in this room is asking God for peace in our heart. What is it that you're asking God for? you got to hear me when I say this. God hears your prayer. God hears your prayer. For Zechariah, things are about to change. The angel continued. He says, your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. And you're to name him John. You will have great joy. You'll have great gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Right then and there, the messenger of the Lord The angel of the Lord gave Zechariah and Elizabeth a new promise. And with it, with this new promise, and you got to catch this, with with this promise comes hope. With this new promise came a new hope. And they were given uh, hope not just for themselves, but it extended far beyond just them. But it was for all Israel. And even later, to the rest of the world, for you and I. There will be a child. His name will be John. And he will bring joy and gladness. And this is the beginning of the New Testament's record of Jesus. Zechariah and Elizabeth's son will be John the Baptist. The one who prepares the way for Jesus himself. Let me ask you this. Do you really know what God promises you? Do you know what God promises you? This is one of the most important reasons that I believe that you should, every single one of us, should read His Word daily. And even go beyond just reading it, but study it. Allow it to to penetrate your heart and your mind and your soul. Because by reading and memorizing and learning what it says, what God's Word says, we begin to know God's promises and what they are to us. And as a result, we begin to be filled with hope. God's promises equals hope. And then suddenly, you you begin to realize that God's hope fills the void of lost hope. (laughs) God's hope fills the void of the hope that we lost or that we feel we've lost. 
And then we can also rejoice that God can bring hope, even when it seems like all the hope is lost and we're, we're wallowing in hopelessness. Listen, Elizabeth was too old to bear a child. Yet God, yet God answered her prayer. Zechariah believed his family line would end. Yet God, yet God gave him a son. Turn to your neighbor and say, yet God. Here's the deal. Sometimes when, when things get really terrible, when, when we face some painful things, when, when things seem awful, it's often because something amazing is about to be born. Something's getting ready to be born. I mean, we see it all in our world today, don't we? There's wars. There's rumors of even more wars. There's economic turmoil, inflation, the worst in 40 years. We see neighbor turning against neighbor. Violence, sickness, sadness, death, and despair. Financial ruin for a lot of people. And and there's marital strife across the board. You know what's happening? Hopelessness is clawing at our door. Hopelessness is clawing at the door. Yet God's promises brings hope. Yet God brings hope out of our hopelessness. Jesus brings the good news that this, whatever we're going through, that this, whatever you're going through, is not all there is. Yet God, there's a heavenly kingdom, a new way of living, a reign of peace and truth to come. It's the thrill of hope that we have in God's promises. That the God of the universe loves us so much that He's going to make things right again. That Jesus is coming again. And we look forward to Christmas. True, yeah, we're all excited. The presence, the tree, the lights. But even more than that, we look forward to the return of Jesus. What's more exciting to you? The decorations or Jesus? This is what Advent's all about. This is what This season's all about. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what Advent is all about. He is coming. He is Lord. He is our hope. That Jesus is coming back. Jesus is our Lord. And Jesus is our hope. Hold fast to God's promises. Maybe for some of you, you need to really discover what God's promises to you really are. Get into His Word. Read the Christmas story this this Christmas. Hold fast to God's promise that the best is yet to come. What an incredible truth. I'm going to invite you to stand with me.
So I ask you today, what is it that you are praying for? What is it that you are praying for? I'm saying move beyond like the new bike, the new car. What is it that's really putting you into a a deep, desperate place of hopelessness? What is it you're praying for? And what I want you to do, I want to encourage you at some point between this time and the time you walk out that door to write it down on your connection card. Write it down. Write it down. What is it that you're praying for? And and know, know this truth that God hears your prayer. That God will hear your prayer. Don't give up praying. Don't lose hope. The hope we find in Jesus will fill every perceived void in our lives. It's the hope of Jesus. God hears your prayer. For many of you, God has heard your prayer. Don't lose faith. Place your hope today in the only one who can actually change things. And that's Jesus Christ. Because what I know to be true is our God is always right on time. He's never too early. He's never late. He knows exactly what we need and He can be trusted to reveal the hope of Christ Jesus in order to push back the hopelessness that you and I experience in our lives in a land full of deep darkness. A light of hope will be revealed. I want to invite you to express your hope in God this morning by bringing Him the things that weigh heavy on your heart. What's weighing heavy on your heart? I'm going to begin our prayer together and then I'm going to offer just a moment of silence for you to speak to God on your own. And then I will close our time in prayer. This is your moment. What is weighing heavy on your heart? And moving into this time, knowing that God hears your prayer. Father God, we come to you this morning in need of hope. Hope that you are faithful and have provided all that we need by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, to take what we rightfully deserve He took it upon Himself. Father, we ask that the light of His life would shine into our lives and it will lift our heads, Father. We offer to You the areas of our lives where we need Your presence, where we need Your hope. And as the band plays just for a moment, go ahead and take some time and lift up those areas of your life that have been weighing you down, that you've been praying for with the confidence that God will hear your prayer.
Father, we trust you today with our very lives. And we look forward to seeing how you will come through, how you'll bring that hope in the midst of the darkness of our hopelessness. Thank you for the hope that can only come from you, Father. And thank you for revealing to us the hope of Christ this Christmas. And I lift up all of the prayers. And we ask in Jesus Christ's name. And the church said, Amen. Amen.